Hello and welcome back to That Oxford Girl podcast. I'm Poddy Wilson and I'm the host of this podcast where each week I invite on a current Oxford student to discuss their time at the university. My guest this week is Shireen Kalra. Shireen is currently studying for her Masters in Higher Education at St Hughes College. We'll be discussing her application process as an international student, the various society events she's attended so far, and best of all, how That Oxford Girl has actually provided inspiration for her published novels. I hope you enjoy listening. Thank you so much for speaking to me today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful being here. So I'd like to begin with talking about the application process which involves sending off quite a lot of documents that require a lot of attention. Um, Can you talk me through what those documents are? So I study the MSc in education, uh, the higher education pathway. And for that, you need to submit around a thousand word um, statement of academic purpose. Then you submit three LORs, which are encouraged to be um, academic. Um, You can also submit one professional LOR if you like. Um, then you need to submit two writing samples. Uh, these are 2,000 words each. It's, again, highly encouraged that there's something that closely relates to what you want to study or revolves around a higher education issue. You can also do a book review or, you know, just comment on any um, already published piece of literature in your field. Um, and then you also submit your resume. So those are the documents needed. Wonderful. So when you're writing your academic statement of intent, as you say, it's kind of angled towards what you might write about in your dissertation. So do you have any advice for people who are thinking about what they might want to put in this statement? Yeah, so the statement of academic purpose here um, is not purely academic. So what we're encouraged to do is you start by perhaps explaining how you got into the field, what made you interested to do what you do, or what your future aspirations are. And then you also talk about perhaps the experience you've had working or, you know, researching in the field, and then how you think Oxford might help you with it. And then comes the dissertation part. So this isn't set in stone. It's not something you're binded by if you get in, but you kind of can propose the field that you're interested in or would like to pursue if you get into Oxford. Um, And based on that, you can perhaps suggest, you know, which professors work at Oxford inspires you or how you might, you know, really benefit learning from them at the department. Yeah, so speaking about the sort of figures of authority that you're, you're working with, when you're sending off these letters of recommendation how do you actually go about approaching the person who you want to write your letter um that's a very interesting question especially because uh, i graduated in 2023 um, from a three-year undergrad program so two of my years were online and online it's obviously more difficult to build connections with your faculty and you know have have them really know about who you are and what your aspirations are. So um, I think the first step is to draft a professional yet really like friendly email to the professor you think knows you well and just request them, tell them about like what you want to study and why you really want to study, like a short email and then perhaps already pitching in, you know, perhaps sending in a piece or an essay you've written for one of their courses or your resume. So I think if you already attach some documents for them to pursue as opposed to them text like emailing you back and then you following up with it and wasting a lot of time you can just simply attach your resume or you know an academic sample for them to review and decide based on if, if they'd be interested in writing your LOR 
um that's one i think and secondly in the process of it i really feel like the earlier you approach your academic the better um because they obviously have so many lors to write and so many people approach them especially if they're at this status and at a you know at a point in their career where their lor can really make a difference so i feel like there it's really important to give them a date and follow up regularly on it making sure that they've submitted it in time and yeah so those are the two cents fab and then with the the pieces of academic work what are the qualities that make your work stand out what what were the reasonings behind sending those specific pieces of work in that made you stand out from the crowd in your application um i'm not sure what made me stand out per se but i think um at the top of my head if i could say i think one is clarity of argument and clarity in what you're saying um you should be saying something through your academic work it shouldn't really be you know like a reproduction of things that are already well known facts in your field or like well known notions in your field or maybe challenging some of the well known notions in your field like i know there's nothing really new under the sun but it has to come from a place of originality and clarity of what you want to say um that's one i know that's an abstract answer but coming to more specifics i think personally i feel like a lot of times people undervalue how important formatting and citations are and i think it just kind of makes your academic work look professional and we have a lot of like online resources like um you can go on and kind of understand how to format and cite your paper and i feel like at a place like oxford that professionalism in your academic writing is important and thirdly funny enough what i did actually was one of my um, writing samples i really wanted to submit something that was topical and related to my field and also kind of showed that i was reading the research that was being published in that year in my field so what i did was i reviewed a journal article um and that journal article was published in an anthology which one of the department professors at oxford had edited so um there was a point when one of my teaching fellows back at my university whom advised me perhaps not to do that because that might backfire because likelihood was that the professor might read it and ha- could you know he could point out a lot of loopholes in my arguments and kind of destroy my arguments but i was really interested in that piece and that piece really closely related to issues of equity and access in higher education in india which is the field that i'm particularly interested in so i went ahead with it um somehow that was the academic who ended up taking my interview also for the course oh, wow. and i was very scared when i got that email saying that he's the one taking my interview and i was like my god either he hated it and wants to like just you know <laughs> but uh it went well and i'm here but that was a gamble with my um academic submissions a real gamble <laughs> Yeah. Wonderful. I mean, let's talk about the the interview process. What can you expect if you're going for your degree? How many interviews do you get? What kind of questions are they asking? Yeah. So, for a lot many uh, master levels degrees, especially taught masters, they don't really take interviews. But our department uh, has really small cohorts, which is why I feel like they always interview the people they take in and the the interviews are uh, decently rigorous in the sense that they really want you to having come thought about what you want to do and why do you want to do it um i think what they're looking for is not just people who can write or will be you know um driven to read and do the coursework but also people who might have their own ideas and are passionate about what they're doing 
Um, so my interview was taken by two panelists. Um, one was, both of them are faculty at the department. One of them is a professor here. Um, and I was asked questions around uh, why I want to go into the Department of Education. Or next was how I got into um, the things that I want to do. Um, before that, there was what is that? What is it that I want to do with my degree and how I plan on doing it? Um, they also asked me if I have any plans for or like any idea of what I want to do after the degree or how I think this degree would help me with my future career. And then uh, one interesting question they did ask me was about one academic work or one piece of writing that changed my view about education or like that kind of made me think about the issues I'm thinking about. So I just talked about um, some previous works that I had read and how it impacted me. To go back to the question you were asked about why you wanted to do the course, I'm interested in this because your undergrad is not necessarily on the on the same sort of line as your postgrad degree. You did political science and international relations. So then to go for a master's that looks at the sort of study of higher education, what's the connection between those two? How did you come to make that decision? Yeah, I really like this question because uh, a lot of people, when I tell them about my, um, you know, my degrees and what they are, a lot of people assume they're really different. Um, honestly, they're really not. They're very closely connected in the sense that a lot of issues that you see in higher education, issues related to access, admissions, equity in education, inclusivity, issues like funding and meritocracies have very political bases. They're based in politics. So I, I feel like a lot of issues that you face with higher education, which ultimately lead to, you know, employment outcomes and status quo and who decides in something, you know, or who makes the decisions in society or how elites are reproduced, for instance. Um, it's all political and a lot of these issues are common across regions and countries which makes it an issue for international relations so I feel like it's it's about the lens so I feel like my course really looks at issues and challenges in higher education from a global perspective and also through lenses of economy sociology and politics so I feel like it's not as um, you know separated as it looks it depends on what lens you adopt and what your research interest is so I feel like it's just kind of choosing a niche in politics and focusing on what um, I like researching about as opposed to kind of shifting fields after my undergrad so yeah mm. yeah that makes a lot of sense and it, I mean it's kind of a misleading title sounding <laughs> of your of your um, degree because it, what you're not gaining is the sort of teaching qualification yeah so that you can go into schools and work immediately. It's, it really is the study of education. And there's kind of five pathways that this master's yeah. course can take. So if you could explain to me what the specificities are of the pathway that you've chosen. Right. So the department obviously offers questions, right, offers courses that help you get into teaching and, you know, gaining credentials for designing and implementing curriculums. But the MSc in education particularly prepares you for careers as policymakers and administrators and also researchers. So my pathway specifically deals with, like I said, challenges and issues in higher education. So a lot of people in my cohort, for instance, are interested in pursuing further defaults in higher education policy. Um, a lot of people I know um, want to work for think tanks. They want to go into their governments and you know become administrators. Uh, people from my course also tend to go into university administration and looking at um, 
There's also like, if you look at big four or any of the consulting companies, a lot of them have human resource or, you know, educational consulting as well, um, where they advise governments about, um, you know, making um, education more equitable, for instance. So a lot of those aspects are covered from my course particularly. And then there are other pathways which focus on different things. Like there's another pathway which focuses particularly on research methodologies. There's a pathway called uh, social and digital change in education. So that focuses on, uh, you know, just the new transfer, you know, technology in education and how do you deal with the social issues related to, you know, educating through online mediums. So there's a lot of vast variety you can choose from. And a lot of it is not directly linked into, you know, gaining teaching experience or, you know, classroom settings. So, yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. I mean, at this stage in uh, the term, it would be really sad if I didn't and also very scary. Um, but uh, that's not to say I have it all figured out. But uh, I came with a clear idea that I'm really interested in looking at India specifically and looking at issues of accessing elite higher education institutions abroad. Um, so you see in India, a lot of people, a lot of students aspire to study abroad. Um, either for their undergrad or their postgrad, right? But accessing elite higher educations abroad is a challenge based on what your academic trajectory has been thus far. So what I am doing for my dissertation is I am speaking with Indian undergraduate students at Oxford. So these are current Oxford undergrad students who've studied in India until they came to Oxford. So I'm talking to them about their process of applying to Oxford and what challenges they faced and how they prepared for Oxford, whether or not they consciously prepared for Oxford and what factors helped them do so. Um, if they think it was, you know, something that they could have done differently or, you know, what they did differently that they ended up getting admission into such a selective program. Um, so things like that. It's basically capturing Indian students' perspective on issues of merit and access and preparedness of getting into an institution that's as acclaimed and elite as Oxford is. Mm, that's fascinating. Um, I'd like to move on, if you would, to your college, which is St. Hughes, yeah. which is one of the northernmost <laughs> colleges in the city. Yeah. Um, did you apply there directly? Um, no. So actually, um, fun fact is that I didn't apply to Oxford until the very like second last day of the deadline so i didn't really have time to give a college preference and look through them so i did not give any preference for any college so it was uh, selected like saint hughes chose me it's like the sorting hat that just sorted me into <laughs> saint hughes and i'm happy that it did why why should someone apply to hughes um honestly because of the people there um i i feel like um it's the most friendly Oxford College community that I am aware of. It's really, um, it's international, it's diverse, it's very active. Our MCR has a lot of events. Um, something or the other is always going on. Um, and honestly, I feel like if it wasn't for the people, perhaps I would have complained about how northern it is in Oxford. I mean, you do have to walk a lot if you're in St. Hughes when you're walking towards the city center. But I think I found the people that make St. Hughes home. 
And I feel like for your Oxford experience, obviously it's a beautiful city and you learn a lot, but it's also about the people you find and the memories you make with them. And I feel like at Hughes, I found those people. Um, mm. So in addition to that, I feel like St. Hughes has like a really, really uh, good dining hall. Like our food is really good. Yeah. You have gardens and your food and you can do picnics and it's like kind of outside the city center. So it's quiet. So it's a good place to be because you can then kind of separate your city life and your uni life as opposed to walking yeah. back home after your day, you know. So it's, it's a good segregation and it's a good place to call home. Oh, that's lovely. And is the, the international community at your college, is that a good support system, do you think, for you? Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, I think, so honestly, um, I got very last minute housing at St. Hugh's, so I live on campus in college. Um, at my college, uh, my uh, house at St. Hugh's has people from different nationalities, and it's that diverse that you get to learn something new and something so interesting that you had no idea about and you're so happy to know like you don't even have to step outside of your house to get to know or learn right and that's my house is my first circle of friends and the first people I fall back on and it's very unexpected in the sense that when you're studying in you know your own country you never think that you'll gel that well and you you know just be so attached to people who like from nationalities you've never really spoken to or you know you don't know much about um but then you meet these people and these are like your new family at oxford and like you come back home to them and it's really beautiful that's fab um so you have been to several events in your college um including formals have you found formal dinners um so uh, i mean you'd be aware oxford has so many formals that sometimes you have a formal formal that you feel like you're not going to enough formals and then you ask your friends in other colleges to take you to their formal dinners and honestly i had like four formals last week somehow it just aligned in a way that all my friends were available last week so i ended up going to four different colleges um to, to begin with i really like the formals at saint hughes they're loud and they're just so energetic because you also have a really big uh, undergraduate community at Hughes, right, which is very active. And I like that. I, I like how lively it is at our formals. And like I said, the food is really nice. They do experiment quite a lot. They're known for their desserts. Um, and in general, I really like the vibe that formals have. Even in like old colleges, it's like walking into Great Hall in Hogwarts, especially when you get your subfast gown and you're just you know sitting on those long stools and it's it's like a catered meal and it's just so lovely and it it kind of gives oxford you kind of feel for a second that oh you're like here and it's real and it hits you for one second so i i love how um you know just momentous and how um, beautiful formals are here so yeah uh, and that's not the only way that you've been getting involved in university life. You've also joined a number of societies. Could you give me an overview of some of the better events that you've been to so far? Oh, so, okay. I, I need to begin by saying that any event you go to your friends with ends up being a nice event, even if it's not the best event. Um, that, being, that being said, uh, I really like, uh, sorry, I'm biased here, but I really like the Bollywood box that the Oxford India Society organizes. Um, so you get to go to a club and dance to Bollywood music with other Indians. And we often take a lot of our international friends. Uh, so we introduce them to like Bollywood dance and music. And they're just so energetic. And so, um, you know, the energy is very, uh, very loud, very nice. Um, that's one. 
um secondly i've been attending um, you know a few seminars that so there's oxford talks that keep happening so you're allowed to go to any department talk or any open talk that you want to um and then additionally you have a lot of bops that other societies organize and one thing i really like is that there's no gatekeeping as to what you can join and you know what community you want to be in like i have a very dear friend who's from mexico and she's the secretary for the mexican society and uh, i went to their events and you just learn and you kind of realize i surprisingly really realized how similar people from mexico and india can be in terms of some cultural things and uh, i didn't know that before so things like that always surprise you and it's it's good to be surprised um so yeah there's a lot to do um special mention to i guess the oxford tailors of society they're very active there's like um my housemates especially all of us are swifties and we go to some of their events and sing on like at top of our voices and it's it's wonderful <laughs> i love that i i assume it's only going to get more energetic now that she's just announced another album i think oh yeah definitely <laughs> <laughs> they had a super bowl screening recently oh <laughs> just because she was in the yeah. audience That's I mean yeah I love it. Um you also have been involved in an NGO uh called Project Edu Access is that right? Yes. So could you yes. tell me about what that is? So um Project Edu Access is a venture of um some DPhil students at Oxford and it's not limited to Oxford um but it has a lot of South Asian students as mentors. who are themselves in universities abroad at UK US um Europe and they're expanding uh, every day um so what they do basically is they help um students south asian students specifically from marginalized and disadvantaged backgrounds uh in applying to universities abroad they give them support in terms of technical you know issues like writing their sops and just guidance on what to do and how to look at things they conduct a lot of workshops where you can learn these things they also offer one on one mentorship where if somebody needs more support then they have one personal mentor who helps them navigate personal circumstances and challenges and one technical mentor who helps them with the application aspect um so it's a wonderful initiative that um, just helps increase access and equity and helps people who aspire to you know study abroad for masters program specifically to get into those programs and yeah and and just to clarify specifically are there certain things that international students need to be taking into account when they're applying that uk students wouldn't necessarily need to think about um i mean yes there's there's quite a lot of difference in um how you know home home students might apply and what um international students face while applying um if you leave the funding aside um in terms of just applying at say one is um of course there's an english language requirements test that you might have to give if english is not your first language um what many people don't know is you can actually apply for a waiver um for that language test if you've studied in an institution for 3 years where the main medium of instruction was english um so that's one uh secondly i feel like um different countries have different grading rubrics and systems and oxford has a very specific guideline as to what cgpa or what um grade point you need to have 
in order to apply for your course like a cut off or like a minimum requirement and that's different for different countries depend and it also kind of depends on the institution you went to um so those guidelines are very clear on your course website um that second and third i feel like a lot of times when you're submitting uh, academic work especially right um sometimes you're coming from a particular context or you're you know talking about things which might not be that well known um so in that in that sense and also if english is not your first language you may happen to face a challenge of like you know translating your work like um you know i have a friend who's who used to write in spanish in his undergrad and now he's writing in english and that process of translating or you know shifting language in your academic writing while you're applying even is i think a challenge now i'd like to ask you about something which I have been excited all into you to ask you about which is your fiction writing because you are a published author and not only are you a published author but some of your writing has in fact been influenced by that Oxford girl so what's the connection there? So um, I write young adult fiction and the first novel that I wrote was back in uh, early high school and um, even as a child uh, like so many of the listeners i i aspired to go to oxford oxford is uh, you know such a dream school and such a i mean you grew up watching harry potter you want to go to oxford you know mm-hmm. and i i really was um, aspiring to go to oxford so much so that the first novel i wrote the characters the protagonists were oxford undergraduate students and back then i'd never traveled internationally i'd get alone like never been to england or oxford so i did a lot of research online to kind of try and understand what oxford was like what the traditions were or you know what to expect and one of my main sources of information and understanding of how to set my novel and what the characters would do when you know the events they would attend like matriculation formal halls um subfests and stuff like that that came from the oxford girl um the instagram and the blog and it was a great um insight and you know just looking at um uh, those days um tilly also used to share her own experiences and her own photographs on the blog she was um very active with that and i used to follow her intently and kind of see and learn that's fantastic so then your decision to join as an ambassador must have been an easy one oh no definitely i so i i've been following the instagram page for the longest time and when i saw a call for ambassadors i quickly applied and i remember when that email came i went to my parents and i was like it kind of feels like a full circle now yeah. like yeah yeah no it was a no brainer honestly wonderful um i'd like to end by asking you what your greatest tip would be for someone who's thinking about applying hmm honestly um believe in yourself mm-hmm. i feel like It's very rare that I've met somebody at Oxford who was very confident they'd get into Oxford. Um most people who do apply to Oxford are confident in their ability of you know not maybe having what it takes but being ready to do what it takes to get into Oxford. Mm-hmm. So I feel like the first step is actually starting the application and telling yourself that you know what if I apply I've done this work I might actually get in fingers crossed like it's starting the oxford application like i feel like 
um, people when they're applying for postgrad tend to fil- self-filter a lot. Mm. Like um, a lot of people don't end up applying to Oxford because they don't think they would get in. I think overcoming that barrier and actually applying and going for it if you really are passionate about what you want to do is one tip that I think I would give. Um, academic tips are out of my scope, <laughs> but at least in terms of just believing in yourself and clicking the apply button is is very important. I think that's a great tip. Well, thank you very much for speaking to me. Thank you so much. It's wonderful. Thank you. My thanks again to Shireen for speaking to me today. If you enjoyed this episode, then make sure to subscribe to the podcast on the platform of your choice and ring the bell to be notified when the next episode goes live. Also, check out That Oxford Girl blog where new posts are uploaded weekly. I hope you'll join us again next time.